Hello and welcome to the Rebooted Open Fire podcast sponsored by Frank and Risk Management Services, a new series of podcasts focusing on the fire safety industry and tackling the current issues facing responsible persons in the commercial and residential sectors. My name's Dave Calvert and my co-presenter is Tom Gilbertiano. Thomas, how are you? I'm right, Dave. How are you? What have you been doing this week other than texting on your phone when I'm talking to you? Um, so this week I've mostly been buying houses, not a house. You've been buying your house, a house. I bought a house, yeah. Have you? Where are you going to live now? I don't know. The wife tells me where to go. I just get the train in the morning. I don't know where it is. Are you moving further away from us? Of course I am. Are it's you just staying, natural Are you staying in the country? I am staying in the country. I'm not staying in the county. And my new closest train station will be Paddington instead of Waterloo. So I'm really excited about sitting on a different train. I feel like you've been very evasive where you are in case you get any um, anti-fan mail. It's all right, I'm moving to Oxfordshire. Send your fan mail to tom at oxfordshireengland.com. Um, <laughs> so what are we going to be talking about this week, Tom? Um, well, I've, the person I've got in the room would suggest we're either here to talk about golf or um, evacuation and light for life. So I'm assuming we've got Nick Faldo in the studio. We, well... If Nick Faldo worked out more, <laughs> he would look the same as none other than Andy Cunningham, our okay. pal Andy. We'll come on to uh, our guest today in a moment. Before that, we need to go to our news correspondent, Lucy Witz, who this week... Where are you, Lucy? Can you hear me? Hello. I'm just on the set of Neighbours at the moment. Just still on the set Australia. of Neighbours. If, um, if our producer would just mind putting in some Australian sound effects for us, that would be great. So, tedious link... According to Daily Mail, Jason Donovan put out a fire in a neighbouring property this week wearing only his underpants and armed with a fire extinguisher. Everybody needs good neighbours, right? That is a great... <laughs> wow. That is your best news item you've come up with so far, Lisa. I actually saw that on Lad Bible. Whilst we're on a point of order here, I just <laughs> want to say, a couple of weeks ago, back in episode uh, two, I believe it was, loose or episode three, it might have been, you came on here, you came on our podcast ill-prepared and you told me that there was a remake of Backdraft coming out <laughs> and you said this because you know full well Backdraft's my favourite movie because it's on my screensaver so I looked into this after the episode <laughs> you were lying weren't you Luce I'd had a few beers <laughs> <laughs> so for any listeners from episode two or three uh, yeah there is no Backdraft coming out however I think uh, if, if there was I think Open Fire Podcast would sponsor that movie well, just to clarify, when we say sponsor it, we mean be willing to have our name next to something, not pay We'd be willing to have an it. episode reviewing the movie, I think. Yes. In fact, we should do an episode reviewing the original. Let's see if we can get Kurt Russell in. Shall we? It's worth a try. He's still alive? Yes. He's still alive. He's got to be still alive. Okay, good. Could he yeah, put yeah. out fires in his pants? Still having kids, isn't he? Probably. <laughs> He's a boy. Okay, Tom, could you introduce our guest this week, please? Must I? Okay. So, um... Oh, hang on. <laughs> Lucy. I'm Sorry, Lucy. The Lucy's back to Australia. Lucy. Lucy's um, just indicating to me that there's further news coming in. It's very important. Emergency that's update. According to Lester Mercury, groups of youths in Glen Parva have been setting fire to dog poo bins and claiming that it's funny and gets you high. Glen Parva, is that where, where sorry, where's Glen That's Parva? That's the place in Leicester, yeah. In Leicester. Wow. Would it get you high? Well try it. What's setting fire to a bin? No, dog poo bin. Is it is it the plastic or is it the dog poo? What's getting them high? 
Wow, got to be that the dog is poop. horrific. <laughs> I want to know at what point someone thought Let's we need that. to get high. I know what to do. And then all his mates dog were like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's light a dog poop in. And then they all stood around it, breathing in heavily. Wow. That's so I'm glad grim. you let me finish the news. Have we got any more news, Luce? One more. Oh, According to the BBC, UK fast food has been linked to deforestation fires in Brazil. Really? Are they putting a McDonald's there? Is that because of beef cutting down trees, deforestation through beef? Well, yeah, the farmers. Uh, deforestation through fires, not beef. Yeah, but they. <laughs> yeah, but deforestation happens because they set fire to it. Perhaps yep, they so cut they down the trees fires, to get to the beef. Set fires for farming so they can grow more soybeans, and then they feed soybeans to, to the cows. animals, which they use as the meat within fast food. Excellent. I feel like your research has gone up a level this week, Luce. I've got to say. Sustainable. Thank you. <laughs> it is fast sustainable. Food. The soybeans aren't, but her research is sustainable fast food. Yeah. Tom, shall we introduce our guest this week? Well, the second time of asking. The second time of asking. Before we get any more news updates. So on our, our main guest today is um, a guy who we all know and love at the Open Fire podcast, um, is Andy Cunningham, who is the uh, Managing Director of Light for Life Limited, um, a man who owns a few patents. He's the first man I've ever met that has patents. Okay, we're going to I, ask. I think. I think we ask Andy about the patents he's yeah, got. Yeah, I think so. And he's also going through patent process. But prior to his um, starting of Light for Life, he was um, the electrical and engineering managing director at Arga Services. AGA Services. AGA. Uh, what? AGA. AGA, mm-hmm. which also spells the word Arga. Come on. And <laughs> that was for 25 years before still that. Still is. So I won, which is still working for them as well. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see. Still owning it. So Arga's your baby, AGA, since 1994. So what were you doing before 1994 then? Because you're not 30. Only just not 30, 56. So what was I doing before 94? No, I was in the electrical industry since 87. And prior to that, I was print finishing in the print industry. That's interesting. So there you go. What's print finishing? Print finishing is book binding and, and finishing books or print work. He was sewing paper up. Absolutely. There we go. With a golden thread. Absolutely. Oh, tenuous link. (laughs) So just to introduce our other guests in the studio, we've also, as well as Andy, we've also got the uh, brilliant um, Anthony Robson, Head of Fire Engineering at Frank and Miss Services. And the mediocre... (laughs) And the also brilliant uh, newscaster and Head of Consultancy, Lucy Witts. Who teleported here from Australia. Who's got here very quickly, yep, on a (laughs) a, a, a one-way flight from Australia. Welcome to the studio, guys. Fire St. Pancras. Can I just say, I think we need to ask Andy where he's been today. Yeah, who did you see today, Andy? Well, I don't like to talk about it, but we, (laughs) we, because there was a couple of us, met Her Majesty at the Hague Housing um, uh, presentation of a new estate, and uh, it was an absolute thrill. Being, being a royalist, it was a thrill. Yeah. But even for the non-royals, it must have been a thrill. What, yeah. what was so the event, Andy? It was Hague House's presentation. They they, they built a, um, an, <clears throat> an estate in Malden um, near, their, their, near their offices, uh, and it was, uh, it was named after Elizabeth. And um, apparently they she opened one in Jersey in 1951. Wow. So that was really nice. So it was, um, it was nice to be there. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be invited. Same pair of scissors? Same hat, I believe. Okay, cool. Did you ever did you did you get to meet the Queen? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Have a little chat? Yeah. 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 yeah she's all right. She says she was gonna go back for a nap. 
Yeah. I'd love to hear a conversation between the Queen and Andy. Can Are, is she going to have some <laughs> dynamic evacuation signage installed in I, her house? I have offered it. Yeah. If she, want, if she wants it. And to be fair, the house is big enough that they possibly require it. Pro- well, you're right. I would have thought so. I'd love to see the signage strategy. I mean, that probably leads us in quite nicely to today's episode, really, Dave. It does, really. So we're going to talk uh, about evacuation approaches. Uh, very general. What... Andy, can you start us off? Um, just, just broadly, what sort of problems do people face when evacuating buildings? I think since, um, since obviously, the horrors of uh, Grenfell, um, it's been more prevalent in um, uh, in, in high-rise buildings in, in as much as the, the signage strategies, the ones that I've seen where people are telling me they're compliant, they're absolutely not. They're not fit for purpose. However, in a state put building, you might you, you we might agree that we don't require them, but in an if we're rescinding state put, which a lot of people are because of waking watch, I think it's getting to the stage now that we need really robust, dynamic signage strategies, um, low proximity evacuation style strategies that are on more highly regulated industries or in more more highly regulated industries like aviation, marine, oil, gas, nuclear. So, so you talk about that, that are those sort of features. Uh, just, just before we go on to that, uh, conventionally, what fire safety features, perhaps um, Lucy or Anthony, you can sort of help us. What sort of fire safety features in a building or are we talking about um, in terms of assisting people to evacuate a building? What, what do we have at the moment conventionally? Well, I mean, obviously, currently when we're operating, operating staple strategy, each flat's got its own detection system. It's completely independent of the rest of the building. The you know potential changes at the moment, whether it's via a waking watch or a uh, you know building-wide detection system, you're looking at simultaneous. When you've got that in place, you now need to facilitate the evacuation of the residents, whether that's just having sounders and everyone can get out themselves, or you might need to profile your residents and establish if anyone needs assistance getting out. So it completely changes the dynamic of the building and the way you'd evacuate that building. And so when we get into those communal areas, actual escape routes, what 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 facilities features would you? Um, what, what what are there solely to assist with evacuation? You've got, I'll jump in on this, Dave. You've got you've got AOV, you've got smoke detection systems that link to AOV systems, but a lot of them have come uh, become under criticism, if you like, for poor, uh, for being poorly maintained, and and also, do we want to? Until the fire rescue services are there, we know we want AOVs to extract the smoke, but is that, by opening up the AOV, actually fueling a fire? We've got to ask that question. So, you know, are we going to oxygenate a fire by opening up an AOV? So it becomes really, really intrinsically tricky to to look at the whole evacuation strategy. And I've got no doubts whatsoever it must be done under management. So there must be, going back to Dame Judith Hackett's report in in looking at responsible people, we must have responsible people on these high rise. I don't know if they're going to be over the 18 metres. You decide the heights. But I, I made a recent uh, statement to the IFE that we're building these buildings taller, filling them up with 600 people and forgetting about them. And, and I do believe that. So what are you... Um... I know your your company, uh, Light for Life, Andy. Um, and and you, what would you propose to assist the the conventional approach to evacuation in communal areas? What what would what what um, methods are you saying would improve what we 
Right, I, be- have- I believe we must start a high-rise. I think I think Dame Judith um, wrote a report on building a safer future with high-rise in mind. I've got no doubts about that. If we can, if we can solve the high-rise problems, then we can work our way down the buildings. But high-rise are, are a massive issue at the moment. So we must look at. I believe, especially especially if they're not going to be stay put. We know we got singular staircases. We're going to be able to evacuate down singular staircases. We must give them the best chances of getting out. You could start looking down the smoke hood routes. I know smoke hoods are really, really expensive, but if you're stuck 30 floors up in a building and you've got you've got a compartmented breach somewhere down on the staircase, how are you going to get down past so the So smoke hoods, um, I think you're sort of referring to the sort of equipment they use in uh, the aeronautical industry on um, yeah. aircraft and such like. They do, Can you do you get them in Japanese hosp- in hotels as well? Yeah. Yeah, okay, in Asia, yeah, they, they yeah. do. They they hand yeah. them out. So, so can yeah. you just um, describe to us, just for the for the layman, what what a smoke hood looks like? What it is? Well, a smoke hood. Smoke hood is um is a modern day version of the old World War, World War Two gas mask. So, so so it's it's a plastic style hood that you put on, um, and then you can tie it up underneath your neck, around your neck. You can pull a cord, and you've got an hours of oxygen, so it doesn't sting your eyes if you're going through toxic smoke. Two lungfuls of toxic smoke. So it's attached with an oxygen cylinder. Absolutely. So two, but they're quite expensive, and I believe I believe the FRS are now carrying six of them on each of their um, yeah. each of their uh, uh, their appliances. So, but they're quite expensive. I believe some on the marketplace are about 180 pound each. So you're going to say, is that sustainable? 180 pound? Is it worth a life? Yes, it is. We know that. However, to try and provide that for high rise social housing in Britain that's a big massive cost but also we must look I believe if you've got to- toxic smoke on corridors or staircases we must look at a low level photoluminescent wayfinding strategy or some kind of indicatory light and that's not and that's not selling anything from my product range or what I've built I've built this knowing that um, that I've had criticism and, and people are saying to me well your emergency light should be on the ceiling no it shouldn't it doesn't have to be on the ceiling and I'll get really boring and state BS5266 Part 2. You can put a low-level wayfinding emergency light, evacuatory-style light at low level. And it's below a smoke threshold. So we've got an oxygen an oxygen blanket at 400 millimetres. The smoke very rarely touches the floor because it suppresses the oxygen. It's the only chance we've got of getting out of these high-rise buildings, I believe. I must admit, I've always found it a little bit ironic that... Um... Sorry, I've always found it a little bit ironic that they, you know, all the wayfinding signage, lighting, emergency lighting is all at ceiling level when obviously smoke goes yeah. upwards. Well, so. the other thing is that the site, it, it makes sense when you apply that in a building that's got an evacuation strategy because what you want to do is you've got a building full of people, you're telling them to get out, they need to be able to see where to get out and the logical place for them to see where to get out is in the sky. Yeah. And at that point, the building ain't full of smoke, right? The difference is, is that the application of the signage in residential buildings is the same as in a commercial environment with your back strategy. Sense, yeah. And the people that are in a residential building trying to get out are in a bit in a position where compartmentation has failed. Fundamentally, it's failed. Unless you're the first person out, in which case the fire's in your flat. But if you're the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh person coming out, the reason you're out is because theoretically the strategy has failed yeah. and you are going to be going into places that potentially are full of smoke. So actually in residential, it makes sense for the for there to be its own wayfinder signage standard, standard yeah. right? Or at least, as we talked about earlier in fire engineering, or a fire engineer that's actually going to apply some common sense and think, why would I need an evacuation signage system in a single staircase building? The answer to that question is because 
the evacuation strategy has failed. That's the only reason you need them. Yeah. Because everyone knows how to yeah. get in and out, right? Absolutely, absolutely, Tom. I look at it as plan B. I mean, I, I, I've had some conversations with a senior fire engineer who's been doing some design work in uh, the big high-rises in Wembley. And they changed the they changed the use of the building. I think it's 40 floors up, and they said it's residential. But right at, towards the top end of the build, they decided to put a bar area, a 120-seating bar area, wow. yeah. on the top of the building, which is a singular staircase. Now, all of, a, all of a sudden, you've gone from a residential building to change of use. You put 120 people up in the air who don't need to be there. How did you get them out? So, so yeah. he said to me, Andy, can you... Can you explain to me or give me plan B? And I believe, yes, we can. If it's a singular staircase, we must fill it, um, do a low proximity evacuation style, style um, wayfinding system. I mean, on series one, and I listened back to it the other the other night, actually, um, we had Jim Creek. So Jim's pretty much the lead in in science. So Jim and John Creek from J-Light, pretty much a world's lead. They, de uh, they, they designed and developed the New York building code post 9-11. Uh, and they built that code as a low-level wayfinding system. So why are we not, don't you ha uh, hack it, ask for it, why are we not adapting that into the UK? Why are we not looking at, as she's asked for, in, yeah. uh, developing in, in international standards? It's there. It's in front of us. Why don't we do it? It's not that costly to do. Why don't we do it? You know, why don't we... Oh, I'm on my soapbox now, so I'm going to stay on it. Um, no, that's right. That's, that's why we want people to come on the show, Andy, and, and be on their soapbox. That, that's what that's what it's here for at the end of the day. So The studio is actually built on a soapbox. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm sliding off my seat here. No, at the end of the day, we want people with their opinions where, you know, the listener is entitled to agree or disagree and that's, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's why you're here. We want to hear what you... I mean, I, I mean, I agree with the, your concept. In terms of residential buildings, you know, I'm more sort of targeted front end, try and get the, it built properly in the first place, make sure the systems work. Oh, totally agree. And that's totally, where we should absolutely. aim. But I think that's obviously not the case. That's not happening. Yeah. So I recognise the need for... Additional measures, ultimately, yeah. in the context that I think Light for Life talk about, I believe, anyway, and I might be wrong, I think that organisations like yours that are coming up with what I think are very intelligent solutions to a problem, I think those solutions are ultimately aimed at failure mode of buildings, not yeah. fire mode. Which and is I, unfortunate, but it's necessary. Yeah, Absolutely. And, I, and I think that and that is because the reaction of the built environment, and we use social housing as a great example because they're the people that manage all the buildings, and right? Very, very poor builds. Yeah, so and, yeah, and some of them are going to be really, really bad, and some will say the majority, and some will say all. But I think just to get to give some organisations a fair shot, of, you know, a crack at the whip, as it were, not every building is going to be a complete car crash. The reality is the buildings we're asked to go in and consult on probably are a car crash because someone's identified that they are, but we don't get called in as consultants to all buildings, of course. Some are okay, right? So, And we have to accept some of the built environment is okay. But the problem I foresee is that some of the good work that organisations are doing where you're trying to think, like, if Grenfell Tower was to happen again what would we want in the building to reduce the fatalities, right? And we'd say, right, we want a system that a fireman can walk into. Sorry, we're going to have a conversation later, but firefighter rather. Oh, yeah. Walks into a building, Whoa. right? And it's it's in, it's, in, it's in fire mode, but it's in failure mode, right? The building has failed to do what it needs to do. One person, one key, into a box, twist it, 
whole situation has been overridden, stay put is overridden, and everybody's on their way out the building, right? So we're thinking, right, failure mode. The same thing with active evacuation signage that's saying, there's a fire here, you've got to go this way, low level, whatever. Again, that's a failure mode situation. Mm -hmm. And when we think about what Russ Timpson said during episode one of this series, of course, he sees that people are re removing redundancy from buildings. That's the, and we are re reducing redundancy. And ultimately, what you and other organizations are doing are trying to find sensible, pragmatic solutions to installing additional redundancy into buildings. Because Anthony ain't designing his buildings any differently, right? You're not. No. Grenfell hasn't happened, and all of a sudden, people are designing buildings differently. The same designs are being approved yeah, day in, day out. There, Nothing's changed. Yeah. People are trying to build them better. That's one thing. But I think what, what organizations like yourselves are doing is trying to say, what enhancement can we offer? So, so to build effective. up a picture of what we're saying, well, what you're saying, Tom. So, we're saying that the, the, the principle of stay put or evacuation, we, we're not arguing that point. But we're build to build up a picture of the the building of the future. Essentially, we're saying, okay, so emergency lighting should be lower down, wafer yep. signage should be installed, uh, uh, an emergency override override a, a everybody doomsday, out a doomsday doomsday button. doomsday button should be installed. The person okay. who coined that phrase should be given an MBE. I think I actually <laughs> called it a Tom switch at one time. But. <laughs> so, uh, and what, what else are we saying needs to be added to that list of the perfect safe well, the, building? You can then add another I staircase, right? I think, yeah, and absolutely. You, another and we, staircase. How far do we go? Another staircase and Plan B. Hang so, either. so I think, I, I think for, what Grenfell taught us was Plan B. It's almost like right, we lost the building. We got 72 people, unfortunately, lost their lives. However, how, uh, as you say, Tom, how could we have saved them lives? What what how, what risk could we have mitigated yeah. just from a, an evacuation personnel? So, what so redundancy can you put into yeah, that building uh, apart from beyond? Absolutely. So, so it's almost like I've, I've had a little bit of criticism from, um, and I, I'll just jump a, a notch, from MultiWatch. And somebody said to me, oh, really, you want MultiWatch? You want a call centre receiving your signals? Absolutely not. I don't want anybody receiving the signals who, that, who is not aware of what's going on in that building. I think we proved that at Grenfell when we proved that at Lackanel. So in my mind, to, to my perfect storm, in my mind, it's... Let's de design or, or, or build in because we're spending millions and millions of pounds, unforeseen money, on waking watch. Waking watch is an, an unsustainable solution to a problem that unfortunately we've all in inherited. So, my mind is let's reduce the waking watch and get it down to one fire marshal, two fire marshals across maybe six, eight, ten tower blocks. And let's and let's see all of them signals coming out and let's start liaising with the residents knowing knowing that Mr. Jones has burnt his toast again at two o'clock in the morning because it's not the fire alarm activation I'm I'm interested in. It's the fire alarm deactivation. So ACO have got some fantastic... And I'll, I'll mention ACO because I'm really passionate about ACO. I believe they're the, the best model on the market that you can actually close your 5839 Part 6 system down because you've burnt your toast and your alarm's sounding but what if you're not there? What if you've gone out and I know I know us boys wouldn't have lost, left the curling tongs on the bed and the quilt set alight. But what if the flat did set it? Uh, the flat is alight and it's six 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 hundred degrees half an hour later and it pops the windows and the smoke's blowing out. How archaic is that in this day and age? Yeah. Why are we waiting for that signal? We should have someone at the front end. 
And um, I think that's a good point. I do think it's a good point. I mean, what what it needs though is that requires wholesale change. Well, you say that. I always think it's a bit odd because everyone talks about stay put or simultaneous. The residents don't know what they're doing. It's really simple. If you're a person and you're in a place, if you hear the fire alarm, you get out. Yeah. Now, if you're a resident in a flat and the fire alarm goes off, normal current sta- you know current standards, you get out because it's probably a fire in your flat. But if you're yeah. a resident in another flat and the alarm goes off, you know it's exactly the same. You just get out. You just it might be elsewhere in the building. It's not a complicated yeah, yeah. educational change. It's no, just no, no, a perception it's not. of it. It's a, it is a perception thing. But it is a wholesale change to the way we've done the yeah. built environment oh, for yeah. I mean, I'm, 70 I'm, years. I'm probably a little bit more... Um, I'd break it down as we discussed in a previous episode. I'd have you know, have the system throughout the building, but why not have the firefighting facility where they can evacuate a floor or the entire... You know, each floor individually or the choice. entire building. Yeah, have a choice. If they feel the need to do so. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. It's about giving f- firefighters flexibility yeah. in firefighting mode. Well, I mean, We don't you, do even, that. I mean, you take Grenfell's, you know, there's obviously the fire service to come under criticism, we won't comment on that, but in terms of their ability to actually evacuate the building, obviously they've got to do it door-to-door, knocking on doors when they do decide to evacuate. Yeah, it's not like they had a button to press and they yeah. chose not to press it, right? It's That's not, not, yeah, it's not a quick, quick reaction. It no. takes a long time to evacuate a building. I mean, it height. makes sense. I mean, you sort of think that actually when you get to the point when a building is in actual fire mode, not fire alarm activating mode yeah. but actually it's, it's on under, fire it's under stress right it's on fire when the fire brigade turn out to a building does it not make sense for the fire brigade to be able to tell the people in the building there's a fire in the building and that's the question i think that people like you are asking so i don't i don't think there's that's anybody the that says no is there Wait, actually there is unless you've got oh, a robust code policy no, right? okay so so that's the qu- that's the question um yeah, yeah, and put to no. you very Frankly, do, do, do the systems that you're talking about in terms of the wayfaring systems, the one out, or, uh, sorry, uh, global doomsday button, do they meet all BS standards and regulatory requirements at the moment? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, like, like, for life is um, uh, tried and tested, it's CE approved. I've, I've had multi watching as a CE approved product, uh, notification products for. I think from March, so we're going on seven, six or seven, nearly eight months. And then I believe, so they've been doing trial testing on it, uh, time testing on it. And I believe next week we get the sign off. That is a CE approved um, conforming certificate, uh, got a uh, conforming certificate, and it is fit for purpose. So, in, uh, and basically, it will notify you. You tell me what you want. What do you want to know in your building? Do you want to know if your, if your fire alarm's gone off in flat 304? We'll tell you that across all flats. Do you want to know if your fire doors are wedged open? We'll tell you that. Do you want to know if your closer's been taken off the door? We'll tell you that. Obviously, there's an infrastructure cost, but it's nowhere near the cost of a waking watch. So really, to my mind, you could fit this system and say, do away with your waking watch and go to your front end. Exactly exactly what Dame Judith Hackett's re- um, requirement was by stating we met, now must become responsible for these high-rise buildings. Yeah. We must. There must be... Some, somebody sent me an email the other day uh, and said RP. And and I looked, I looked at it and I thought to myself, RP. So straight away... We're downgrading responsible person. Please don't downgrade responsible person. Just let's type responsible person. Let's make people responsible. So, so what is the, on that that point, Andy? And, and you make a very good, very strong case for it. So, what is the 
reluctance to introduce these. So what 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 are the barriers or limitations? What part of the industry doesn't want lack, this to happen? Lack of understanding. I, 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 I believe we've got a mass... So once again, I'll revert back to Dame Judith's statement about cultural change. Yeah. Yeah. We must we must look. We must look at changing changing the culture of the fire industry, I believe. Yeah. We've got all the answers to all the questions. We're sitting here. I mean, I mean the boys over at Clarion with Steve Gallagher and Dan Hollis doing some great work. I believe you guys know him. You know, you know, they spent best part of 20 million pounds. They might have the budget, but they still spent best part of 20 million pounds. They're doing great work. Listen to the likes of Jim Creek and the Dave Calverts and the Tom Gilberts of this world. We've got all the answers to all the questions. Let's, let's just tie it all up, I believe. And, yeah. I, I, and um, I was speaking to Danny White earlier, which was great, and I, I, I must make this statement. And I said to Danny, Danny, I love you dearly. I know you're passionate in your industry. It's not all about the doors. And I believe, and I believe it's not all about yeah. the doors. We need the doors. We need the doors when we've got a stay put policy. If we haven't, the doors are maybe not so important. But let's look, let's look at the walls before we look at the doors. You know, I mean, they've been fitting fire doors on a property that I was looking at. Fire doors, 1,300 quid a pop, and they've got lava and plaster walls. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? So let's, let's spend the money where it needs to be spent. And, let, and yeah. I, I wrote an article for City AM um, the other week, and I believe there's £6 billion to be spent in the fire industry. And this industry is 50 years, I believe, or 40 years behind the times because it hasn't embraced technology. We've got everything out at the front end for it. We can look after all of it, but just believe in itself. Let's innovate. And that's what we're frightened to do. Yeah. Our codes and standards are the best in the world. I'll leave you boys to sort out all your cladding stuff, right? Because that's what you do. I'll look at it internally. And I think we've got the best codes and standards internally in the world. Let's just adapt them. They just need to be yeah. brought into the 21st century. But what century. I would say is, uh, what I would say is that codes don't need to change no, for fire engineers to make sensible, pragmatic decisions based on the experiences that all of us have had since the fire that happened two years ago. I right? just think, I just, you're right, Tom. I just think we need to adapt them or just to look at them a little bit closely and say, right, yeah. we, can, we can adapt them into, as I said, more highly regulated industries where you're aviation, yeah. oil, military, marine, and gas, and just put them at low level. And uh, and give these people a chance of getting out of these buildings because if you're thirty floors up in the yeah. tower block, if the building's not work if properly, the build it, right. plan B, yeah, yeah, yeah plan exactly. B. I think the problem is, I mean, we've had this conversation before in episode one with Russ, and um, you know, commercial, you wouldn't be, we're not having this conversation about the commercial sector because they've got all the systems, it's all been installed, and they're out of the building six minutes, yeah, and it, that's starts, simultaneous, right? and the money's spent there, and it, you know, we wouldn't say that they actually, you know, they go a long way to meeting the standards and actually going above and beyond, mainly probably for insurance purposes. But in the residential sector where this shortcoming is evident, um, yeah, and I completely agree, we need to start throwing some more money, more technology, and actually bringing it up to a decent standard. I've I, I done a presentation recently to the IET, the Institute of Engineering Technology, of which I'm a member, and it did make me laugh. And the presentation, I, I sort of, um, BS7671, which is our codes and standards electrically, and and I was standing there and I was saying I was absolutely honoured to be presenting at the, uh, you know, BS7671. They wrote the standards, they wrote the codes and everything else. And I actually ended it. Guys, I'm, you know, I'm privileged to have been allowed to present. However, I just want to tell you your fire signage in the building is wrong. And that is how I ended it. <laughs> so these people are writing the codes and the standards and they didn't even get the fire signage in the building right. 
I do yeah. think that this whole conversation has been quite negative. And if you actually look at the statistics, only 6% of fires in purpose-built flats have spread from the room of fire origin and even uh, less have spread from the flat of fire origin. And I think almost this has been very risk-averse and all guns blazing that all buildings are going to fail. And I don't think that's a no, true reflection. No, I don't. And I, you're right, Lucy. I don't. I don't believe all buildings are failed. However, however, I think we can make improvements. So, so we none of us wanted to see them. Obviously, the you know the the catastrophic um, incident at Grenfell. Nobody wanted to see that, especially worldwide. That is for sure. So, if we can make an improvement, and I don't want to say, oh, if we can save one life, you know, that's a, that's an old cliche. But if we can make improvements and plan B, because that's what we need. Until we start building two two staircases in high-rise blocks, I think we'll initially have problems unless they're built to standard. And I think what's interesting is Scotland have made that decision already. Yeah, Scotland have said, you're going to have two staircases in high-rise buildings. They've also talked about the inverted commas is using your, your typology as the doomsday button. Mm-hmm. There will be that system in Scotland. And... They are, but but that in itself creates problems because what's the reason for the second staircase? Is it redundancy? Is it fire brigade access? Mm. What is it? How do you separate them from one another? Because ultimately, if you separate two staircases in one building, I mean, in a residential building, if the problems of Grenfell existed, then it would have overridden that system anyway because it was a full wrap fire. Um, and you know, I, I think I think Lucy does make a valid point that the the built environment isn't completely knackered. It just isn't, and and we can no, prove absolutely. that by saying I, I we've agree. had two multi fatality fires in residential buildings in a de- in decade, well, twelve years, and we've had thousands of fires in purpose built blocks over there where the situation wasn't as bad. DCLG guides have talked about that for for absolute yonks to the point that it actually says in there, you know, generally pessimistic to assume compartmentation isn't okay to to stop you going and positively identifying that compartmentation yeah. is okay. That's the way. But what we're saying is is that there are parts of the fire industry that are looking at the... The reality is that Anthony's designs in buildings have redundancy built into them. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, if all the redundancy that Anthony has designed into his building doesn't work, what then? Well, I don't know if we are. I think we're, what we're recognising is that we've been doing the same thing for so long that nobody's thought to... Let's innovate. Challenge. Challenge. I think that's the problem. We've all been doing the same thing for so long, but products have moved and you've ended up with ACM materials and things like that. Absolutely. You know, things have changed, but you know the industry's just stuck the same all the way through. Which was Einstein's uh, def- uh, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Absolutely. And I've been taking that exam over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, I just want to finish, guys. Uh, well, is it time to finish? I don't well, know. Yeah, you can give us a final uh, the thought for the day. I'll yeah, give you a final you, thought you for the day. You can end it when you like, mate. No, no, no. <laughs> we can carry on for ages, Tom. <laughs> but we can't. So, so the, gov- <laughs> the government re- um, recently issued a consultation paper and they were asking for uh, proposals to improve wayfinding signage within p- uh, blocks of flats and to install evacuation alert systems to use by fire and rescue services. Yeah. Should have listened to last week's episode, Andy. I don't. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and Scotland. And Scotland but, uh, is that? Uh, can you download that on iTunes? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Guys, time's beating us. Um, well done. Andy, it's been absolutely fascinating. We need and, 90 seconds with Anthony. Uh, sorry, not Anthony. We do, Anthony. we do indeed. We oh, need, we got a quiz. Have we got a quiz? Are you happy at joining on our 90 you ready? second quiz, Absolutely. Andy? Yeah. So the record, of the essence. At the moment, the record is two and a half points. Two, Tom, is that right? Who by? Yep. Who Three, by? two, Paul one, Brian. go. It's against the law in the USA for any citizen to have contact with who? A crocodile. Extraterrestrials. In Alberta, it's illegal to play craps if you are using what? Oh, toilet paper. Dice. In Georgia, it's illegal to eat what with a fork? A wasp. Fried chicken. In New York, it is illegal to shoot rabbits from a what? Oh, I hope it's tank. Shotgun. A moving trolley car. In Kansas, it's against the law to eat what on Sunday? Chicken. Snakes. In Pennsylvania, a man needs a written permit from his wife to do what legally? To wear her underwear. Purchase alcohol. In North Andover, Massachusetts, it's illegal to possess what kind of weapon? A shotgun. Nearly. We'll give you half a mark. A space gun. Space gun. <laughs> By law in Russia, the homeless must be where after 10 p.m.? Tucked up in bed. I'll give you half a mark. At home. What? Who is it illegal to frown at in New Jersey? A gangster. No, the opposite of police officers. Last question. The city council of Chico, California, set a $500 fine for exploding what in the city? A bomb. Half a mark, a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb, there you go. One and a half, that's not that One terrible. One and a half, that puts you Dave, about... Where, where are these they were exceptionally these hard are ones. Yeah, well researched. They are me. well researched, very much so. Okay, Andy, it's been fascinating coming on you. Thanks, We'd guys. love to have you Thank on you. here again. Um, yeah, probably for two and a half hours next time. And yeah, Anthony, we've already got you booked on for um, the future episode on guidance notes in general. Yeah. Later we'll, in the series. Yeah. We'll try and make that interesting. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, quite looking forward cool. to it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll flip in and out as we go through the series. <laughs> yeah. That's a better response, Anthony. Thank you. <laughs> and Lucy, we will see you reporting your news next week. Where are you going to be next week? Spain. In nice. Spain. Tom. Um, see you soon. We need to tell people where to get in touch with us. Yes. Um, if you want to talk to us, go to Dave. Uh, no, don't go there. Email us, Dave and Tom at openfirepodcast.com or go to theopenfirepodcast.com website. It, well, that is what that address would be yes that's us done thank you very much guys see you next week bye bye the views expressed on this podcast are those of the persons appearing in the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Frankham or any of its officials. The appearance of guests on or the mention of third-party information, products or services or organizations within the podcast does not imply any approval, recommendation, certification or endorsement of them or of any entity they represent. Our podcasts are provided for general information only and should not be treated as substitute for professional advice or supervision from an appropriate property or built asset professional. Whilst all attempts are made to present accurate information, it 
may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances, and the information presented in the podcast may become outdated over time. Frankham Consultancy Group and its subsidiaries, here in Frankham, make no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the Open Fire podcasts. Any reliance on the information provided is at your own risk. Frankham does not assume any liability for the use of, reference to, or reliance on the podcast or the information presented within. 